Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Beginning with verse 26. Would you stand with me this morning for the reading of God's Word? This is the second in our series on things to come. How many of you were here a couple of weeks ago when I started with the first one? I encourage you to go back online if you weren't. Uh, these are strong words. They are, and I say this very meekly, prophetic words in that they're foretelling the future as God gave it to us. They're going to be dividing words. It's going to anger people. It's going to bring uh, some resistance. But it is my opinion that they that love God's word we cling to it not because it's easy to hear, but because it's from Him. And so follow along in your Bibles this morning. Luke 17, beginning with verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married their wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So Noah... And his wife ate in the ark. Does it say the Lord destroyed everyone else? We're being told that love wins. Yes, it does. Love is the preeminent thing. But we cannot push God into our definition of what love is. The Bible says, Behold the goodness, the love, and the severity of God, the goodness and the severity. And it says that God, besides Noah and his family, destroyed the world. That would include children, uh, disabled, elderly. It grieved him. And I'll get to that in a moment. And there was judgment that fell there. And in the days of the Son of Man, which means after Jesus came as a man, and in the days of the second coming, the catching away of the church, the three and a half years, the second coming where Jesus, the first time in the rapture, he brings the church to himself. And in the revelation, he brings the church with him. In those days, in that period, it's going to be like the days of Noah. God's telling us. He said, these are things you can look for, symptoms. But be assured that judgment still came. Okay? So where was I at in my scripture? Help me. 28. There I am. Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot... They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even, though, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, at the rapture, He's not revealed. At His coming, that's the way it's going to be. In that day, he that is upon the housetop and his stuff is in the house. Do not come down to take it away. And the ones that are in the field, let them likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. And while you're standing, just let me read this to you in Second Peter 2. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will bring in damnable hearsays, even den heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. 
And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth will be evil spoken of. And through covetousness and with feigned words, they'll make merchandise of you, whose judgment for a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Listen. For if God spared not the angels which sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and God spared not the world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning with them an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that afterward would live ungodly. But he delivered Lot, the just man, who was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of trial and testing and judgment and reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. And the blessing of God is always upon the reading of His Word. You may be seated this morning. In our first part, we talked about things to come. We talked about the things that have happened, the things that may happen, and the things that will happen. God told us the Spirit expressly says that in the last days, perilous times will come, and people will depart from the faith, giving... Heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. There will be a great backsliding in the church because that day the return of the Lord cannot come unless the first is a great falling away. There will be coldness of heart of God's people. Because iniquity abounds, the love of many will wax cold. There will be increased knowledge. And we all know the exponential knowledge that's happened in the last hundred years globally. There'll be depravity, anarchy, lawlessness, immorality, uncleanness, and without natural affection. And there'll be a push towards the unification, which we see it in its beginning stages, but will be manifest in the earth very shortly, a pushing towards a one world religion, which means it doesn't matter what you believe, it all works, it all leads to the same place. There'll be a one world government, and there'll also be a one world currency. But this morning, I want to focus on two things. The days of Lot and the days of Noah. God gives us a, not just a warning, but a cheat sheet, if you will. He said, this is what it's going to be like. And it's not to bring fear, it's to bring confidence. Because if it plays out like he says, we know know that it's going to end like he says. So I want us to look at the days of Noah. Letter A. They were unaware. The people were unaware of who they were, what they were where they were, and how God viewed them. They were unaware that there was a schedule, a timetable, where God had called Noah to build this ark, and he had planned a judgment. But there was nothing wrong with eating and drinking and, and giving in marriage and being, marriage, being married and building businesses. There's nothing wrong with that. But they were completely unaware that while they were living in this world, God was preparing to judge this world. And in this day... We have people standing in our churches, in our churches, on our platforms, saying that God would, ne- God would never do that. God's a God of love, and He is. He, he, he always provides an ark of salvation. He always provides a sacrifice and atonement. But people are just unaware. We, we've seen in the last 20 years an influx of preachers that all of their preaching is about them and how God stoops down to wait upon them 
and it's become a materialistic, me-centered faith, but they're completely unaware that judgment will begin at the house of God. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where will the ungodly appear? Let her be. They're unconcerned. Noah's building this ark for years and years and years. The Bible said he was a preacher of righteousness. But there are some that are kind of aware, but uh, they've been talking about Jesus coming back since I was a little girl. And, you know, I, I just got too many things going on and I just get my church on television and I'll, you know. Can you imagine the distortion of a believer's heart that doesn't realize that God's going to start judging with them? We prepare. The Bible says if you would judge yourself, then God would not judge you. And they're unconcerned about their condition. They're unconcerned about where they are in God, in the timetable of God. And yes, some people are getting ready for the judgment, but I just leave that to Noah until the rain started. And in Noah's day, there was no warning except, I know this is simple, but it's very profound. The only warning given was that somebody was preparing for judgment. And the church is not supposed to be telling the world, you're okay, I'm okay. It's that God's not going to overlook our sin. We need to be forgiven. We, I'm not better than you, but we must prepare this ourselves and get in the ark that God provided, the ark that God gave the instructions to, the ark that God closed the door. And for those of you that love to study deep in the word of God, I give you a challenge to go into the Old Testament and look at the story of Noah building the ark and look for the words. And he pitched the ark within and without with pitch, which was a tar-like glue substance between the boards. That is the same Hebrew word for atonement. I'll just, just look it up. So it means, in essence, the blood of Christ between all of the boards on the boat. And that boat keeps the water of judgment out. And we rise on top of it because of the great sacrifice of our Lord. There's one ark. And may I just talk to you just a moment about the ark that we're in. Two of every kind of fish, bird, or not fish, a bird, animal, insect. And not of every delineation of the species, but two of everything. Don't you know that ark stunk? I mean, think about it. I don't care what system you got in place. Giraffes and rhinoceroses eating and processing food. People aren't sanitary. Where do you wash in in an earthly flood? Whatever's on board, you know that everybody was funky on that boat. And I'm trying to use a little bit of humor because I want you to see this. They point at us and they say, look how you don't have it together. And look how it, there's stink there. And look how you're not all you planned on being. And they, they dissect and criticize our ark. But baby, it's the best thing afloat. It's the best thing afloat. When it was built as it was supposed to be built. They were still unaware and unconcerned. And the only warning given was that other people were preparing. We are going to stand before the Lord and give an account for the deeds done in our body. We are. They were unmoved by Noah's actions, by Noah's words, by Noah's preparation, and Noah's righteousness. It just didn't move them. They acted as if there was nothing to prepare for. 
And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man when he returns. They were unwilling, unwilling to listen, to consider, to move, to change, to humble oneself, and to repent. They were unprepared. No plan whatsoever. Whether ignorance or arrogance, it doesn't matter. The result was the same. There were people that were judged that didn't even know it all. There were people that knew what Noah was doing. Noah told them, and they said, I don't care, and walked off. So there's the ignorant that didn't know anything, the arrogant, the unconcerned, but they all perished the same way. And see, this ties in with God's explanation of redemption. For all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And the wages of sin is death. It doesn't matter how much of a sinner you are. We're all grouped with the world. And there's only one salvation. And that's the one that Jesus Christ provides. He is our ark of safety. And when you get in right before the judgment comes, God shuts the door and keeps you. For the church, he's going to take us out of this world. For the Jews that are here, he's going to take them through the wrath of God. The Bible says that it's a time of Jacob's trouble, but not the church. For you are not appointed unto wrath. But don't be frustrated. It does burden us, but if Noah had eight that went with him, including himself, and God says in this last day, it's going to be real hard to get anybody on the ark. And the Bible says this, narrow is the way that leadeth to life and few find it. I'll I'll turn on Christian television and I can be blessed just as much as I can be turned off. And they'll say, there'll be a lot more people in heaven than you realize. And everybody goes, amen. The scripture says, few find it. That's what the scripture says. And broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many thereby go in their eyes. They're just not prepared And you need to make sure that your sins are forgiven, that you've worked out your salvation in fear and trembling, and you have allowed the Lord to cover you in pitch, the outside. That's the only thing that keeps the water of judgment out, the shed blood of Jesus Christ for your sins. They were unprepared, but there was a remnant righteous there in the minority. Talk about being in a minority. Noah was it. Noah moved by fear. Where's the fear of the Lord in the church? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Noah prepared his ark for his family by fear. Not the fear that he wasn't going to make it. He wasn't afraid that God wasn't going to take care of him. He was afraid of the judgment that would happen if he wasn't protected. And so that fear makes us get into God, solely into God and hold on to God. And if you have the fear of God, listen, listen, if you have the fear of God, you don't fear nothing else. Nothing else. I am absolutely secure. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. I don't care what our president says or any other president says. The Bible tells me that this world is going to come together and unite itself against God. They are going to despise and persecute again the Jews. They're going to despise and persecute again the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are going to be safe. We are going to protect it. And those that give their life for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ will be rewarded with a martyr's crown by Jesus Christ himself. As it was in the days of Noah. Unprepared. Unmoved. Unwilling. Unrepentant. 
And we have preachers telling them, it don't matter what you believe. It don't matter how you live. God, love wins, baby. God just embraces us all. And there's going to be some things I talked about today that are going to alienate some of you. And I don't have an option. I have to tell you the truth. Follow this. I'm going to show you how depraved we are. When the sexual revolution happened in the 60s and 70s, and some of our teenagers go, what? We'll tell you about it later. When it come around in the 60s or 70s, we all knew it was wrong, but it happened anyway. Free love, you remember? Love anything. Love a rock. It don't matter. You know, love more than one. And we're not even going to get into hygiene of that day. That just, anyway. But now, the church knew it was wrong. Okay? Because sex outside of the confines of marriage between one woman and one man in the confines of marriage was wrong. So fornication was wrong. But they said, free love, free love. The church couldn't stop it because we can't stop evil. But we knew it was wrong. Roe versus Wade, we now legally say you can kill children in the womb of a lady if she so decides. The church knows it's wrong. We can't stop the evil that happens, but we know it's wrong. So fornication is sex between a man and a woman that are not married. They're not exclusive. That was wrong. Abortion was wrong. But now with the legalization of same-sex marriage, the church doesn't even know it's wrong. And you can paint me however you want, but I want to look you now. I don't hate anybody. I'm not mad at anybody. And I don't think I'm better than anybody. Let me tell you, I am the worst of the worst. That's why I desperately need a Savior to save me from my sins. I'm not judging anyone. But the depravity is, we don't even know it's wrong now. Our, 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 our feeler, our, because we care so much about what someone else thinks of us that we don't stand on God's word. And so listen carefully, tenderly. Fornication is wrong. Abortion is wrong. Homosexuality is wrong. It's not an issue of judging the person. It's if we don't know where the standard is, we've sentenced them with our validation. Just like the person that says, I don't love my husband no more. I love this guy. I'm going to marry him. I have to say... God hates divorce. You can't do that. We have, to, we have to stand on the truth. But the truth is being eroded because tolerance is the new gospel. And if you tell the truth, no matter how tenderly you say it, you're a bigot, you're a, a terrorist, you have hate speech, and preachers of righteousness aren't going to be real popular. But as it was in the days of Noah... So shall it be now. Now, this is where angels fear to tread. Y'all ready? Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19. We're going to look at the days of Lot. And we're going to have them on the screen for you today. Do you know when you read the Word of God, first of all, you read it historically. It's as it happened. You can read it uh, symbolically. But God is so powerful, he also layers it. There's application historically. There's application geographically, geopolitically to you individually. There's instruction that happens. And 
I've never seen some of the things I'm going to share with you, but the Lord has really burdened me more so than I can recall in a long time. I don't know that I've ever preached a series on the end times, and I feel like the Lord's just really overshadowing me and showing me things in this passage. So are we clear that the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah and Lot, that's what it's going to look like. So we covered Noah. Now I want you to look at this about Lot. And before I get to Genesis 19, let me read these verses. Genesis 13, 3. The people of Sodom were wicked and they were sinners before the Lord. The symptoms of Sodom, some of them you can find in Ezekiel. This was the iniquity of the sister of your sister Sodom. They were proud, fullness of bread and abundance of idleness, which means they were arrogant, self-centered, and it says they neglected the poor and needy. They lived a self-centered life. So it wasn't just sodomy. We get our word sodomy from Sodom. It wasn't just homosexual behavior in, in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. It was self. It was as long as I have, I have enough, the pursuit of materialism, idleness, and turn their back on the poor and the needy. It wasn't just sexual sin. Watch. Sexual sin doesn't always lead to selfishness. But selfishness always leads to sexual sin. When you live for self, that's, that breeds every form of, of sinfulness and disposition. So there was pride, there was arrogance, there was excess, and they hoarded the excess for their own pleasure. And when the poor and the needy came by them, they looked the other way. Here's what God says to us who are Christians. If you see your brother in need and shut up your bowels of compassion and you have the capacity to help him, how dwelleth the love of God in you? So we don't want to partake, but people are now making their life about themselves. And if I don't preach what you want me to preach, we'll go shop somewhere else. Or we'll pick, they pick churches based on what do you have to give me? Not, Lord, where do you want me to go? Well, y'all ain't got nothing for this group. Well, but did the Lord send you? So it's a self mentality. So in Sodom, the sins were, the sins of Sodom in this passage in Ezekiel, pride, abundance of goods and a self-centeredness that kept it to themselves. And they were idle. They weren't productive in godliness. There was an idleness, which means they, here it is, spent their life on their self instead of investing their life in other people. Okay, that's the sin of Sodom. And the believers lived carnally. Right before we get to Genesis 19, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah as it ties to Lot started in Genesis chapter 13 when Lot chose carnally. Lot, a type of believer. And as it was in the days of Lot, so will it be in the last days. Lot and Abraham were so blessed together that there wasn't enough grass for all of their cattle and sheep to eat. There wasn't enough water. And so instead of having less, Lot split from Abraham and left righteous associations for temporal pleasures and temporal business. And Abraham, the father of the faithful, said, well, look, you just pick wherever you want to go. I, I, no fear of losing anything. If you take left, I'll take right. If you go north, I'll go south. So what does, that, what does that tell you about Abraham? He's saying, oh, you can't take nothing from me. Uh, whatever you pick, God's going to take care of me where I'm at. But the carnal believer, 
The Bible says that Lot chose for himself. As it is in the days of Lot, so it is in the last day. Christians choose for themselves. We choose where we work. We choose who we date. We choose where we go to church instead of, Lord, lead me where you want me to be. Show me who I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be. That prevalent spirit. And Lot noticed the well-watered plains of Sodom, even as the Garden of Eden, and chose for himself. He based his decisions on what he saw with his natural eyes, not what he saw with his spiritual eyes. Lot chose carnally. Now, look at verse Genesis 19, 1. And we'll have these on the screen as well. And I just want to read some of these to you. Another thing about Sodom, besides the thing I already told you, is there was rampant, aggressive, and violent homosexuality and the agenda of such. And now, I'm I'm not making this up. I'm going to pull it right out of God's Word. Look at verse 1. The angels of God were sent, and they found Lot at the gate of the city. When you're sitting at the gate of the city, you're a leader. It means you are part of those that judge issues that come up. You are a type of small governmental structure. And Lot had chose Sodom and was ingratiated in Sodom. And when the two angels came to him, you'll notice a chapter or two before, three messengers came to Abraham. One of them being the Son of God appeared to him. Two came to Lot. Jesus said, I'm not even going going to go where you're living. And sent the two messengers. And Lot, we don't know if he knew they were angels or not, but he knew they were different and dignitaries. And he invited them into their house. You know what the angel said? No, thank you. We'd rather sleep outside. In the day before the Lord returns, Christians will live in a place that angels don't even want to visit. It's right there. We we, we don't know. This is not good. In verse 2, the angels did not want to spend the night in the place Lot had chose to live. Verse 4, and the Bible says that all the men of Sodom, young and old, came and surrounded his house. So what does this mean to us? So here are men and boys, men and boys, surrounding the house of Lot, demanding to bring the two men they thought were men out so that they could know them. And the Hebrew word know them is the same way that Adam knew his wife and gave birth to Cain and Abel. We want to have sex with them. Let me just read this to you. They demanded access to his home and those that were under his care. They demanded access to his home And I know some of what the world would say, well, of course that's wrong. It has to be consensual. But in verse 13, the angels had revealed that the Lord had sent them to destroy the city before their attempt to overtake his home. So we say, well, God was just mad at how they were doing that. Of course, you can't just rape someone. No, God sent the angels before they ever surrounded his house. And here's the spiritual parallel where fornication is pushed through the television and through movies and the Roe vs. Wade is pushed through in the media and all, this is a sign 
of a, an idea, an attitude that says, you will open your house to me and we will have access to the people in your home. And so a believer either has to stand or give consent. Now it gets even trickier here in just a moment. There is a spirit of this age. Whether you ever try to seduce my little girls or not, if another lady tried to seduce my little girls or not, and they say, well, we'd never do that. But God teaches us that the idea of it consensual brings absolute wrath. That's not me hating someone. That's his word. And so the issue is not consensual. The issue is evil. In the same way, fornication is evil. Adultery is evil. Murder is evil. It's the same thing, but God calls this sin an abomination because it's contrary to pattern. Verse 7, look at Lot's confusion. The men were beating on the door and they said, let, us, let these men out so that we may know them. And Lot said, please, my brothers, he begged, do not do such a wicked thing. Okay, pan back. They're beating on the door. The angels are inside and they're asking to bring them out so they could rape them, so they could have sex with them. They haven't volunteered this, so this is against their will, right? And so, uh, Lot says, please, my brothers, do not do this wicked thing. Here is a perfect type of the indecisive, cowardly Christian. Please, my brothers. They're not his brothers. But he also says, that's a wicked thing. Well, if it's a wicked thing, what are you doing living there? And you'll find in the days before the return of the Lord, we have Christians that don't know who they are. On one hand, they hold the world's hand and say, yeah, just God's okay with everything. And then they'll have moments where, well, that's wicked. How did he determine it was wicked? Well, he had the idea, well, it's wrong to violate a stranger. He cared more about being politically correct than being spiritually correct. And as it was in the days of Lot, that's how it is today. We're known by what we won't say. Because, and you'll see in a moment, when you call something wicked, that's wicked. When I tell a man in our church that loves money that that spirit he has is the root of all evil. When you tell that woman that that unforgiveness will separate you from the grace of God. When you tell that liar that no liar will take part in the kingdom of God, all liars will have their part in hell. And you take the person in sexual sin and call it sexual sin. The Bible says it's better to take a cub from a mama bear than confront a sinner in their folly. Violent. Who do you think you are? I'm nobody but a messenger that am under the same rules and laws that God gives you. Look at how thoroughly Sodom had infected him. He cared more about the people's acceptance than he did about God's. He cared more about political correctness than his own family. Lot had become absolutely darkened in his soul and had it not been for the prayers of Abraham for him and the grace of God, he would have perished with them. Do you know what Lot said? He said, please, my brothers, don't do this wicked thing. This is unbelievable. This is one of those passages in the scriptures, top three for me that I just stand back and I, I, I can't take it in. He said, I've got two daughters in here that have never been with the man. Watch. Take them 
and do with them what you will. What? Oh, no. See, our culture is you have to take care of strangers. And so I want to be politically correct with the culture. My babies can be raped all night. They can be ravaged with this sin-soaked society. Have my family. Just don't think I'm not with you. As for my home, in humility, I want you to know that I have my wife Kelly under my arm, my two little girls and my little boy, and there's blood on the doorpost of our home, period. I, I know that he is sending the destroyer, but when he sees the blood, he will pass over us. Pass over us. And if you care more about being accepted here, willingly or unwilling, you will sacrifice your babies to this world. It's right there, as it was in the days of Lot. Lot's a type of believer. Take my babies, just don't think I don't get it. Because the culture is you take care of strangers. The men of Sodom threatened Saul with worse if he stood in their way. Look at verse 9. Stand back, they shouted. This fellow, Lot, came to town as an outsider, and now he's acting like our judge. We'll treat you far worse than the other men. So they lunged forward to break down the door. So, we will treat you far worse than those other men. I'm asking you this. If the Bible's true, and if this story is true as it happened, did the men of Sodom say what they were doing was a horrible thing? And if he got in the way, they would do a more horrible thing to him. They knew. Anger. You get in our way. You tell me I'm a sinner. You tell me this is sin. And I'll treat you worse. And it's come. I'm telling you. I'm telling you it's coming. It's going to happen on your jobs. It's going to happen in your family. It's going to happen in the church. There will be, in my opinion, before the return of the Lord, a persecution begins that you have to say that what they're doing is not only not a sin, but God approved, or you are going to face wrath, anger, vehement wrath. And it's going to be that which separates those that are true and those that are false. We didn't sign up just because it would be easy. We are lovers of the truth. We're not on a mission to be better than anybody else, but we stand in the truth. And there was great hatred and anger towards Lot. It takes spiritual power to keep this spirit out of your home. It says in verse 11, But the two angels reached out and pulled Lot into the house and bolted the door. And they blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the door of the house. So they gave up trying to get inside. So here are these angels sent by God to destroy the city. They weren't protecting themselves. They were protecting Lot. So what does this story have for us to say? You better have some power in your house. You better have some glory in your house, some spirit in your house, some God. Lot's goal was not to kill the people. He wasn't going to supposed to say, you're evil, you're evil. That's not the goal. It's saying that is wrong and it doesn't happen around us. My children will not be confused. And that spiritual power that you have to stand, the angels demonstrated it. Stand when there's verbal attack. Stand when there's verbal threatening. Stand when there is... Uh, uh, you're in the minority. You stand and God will see to it that you'll have sufficient power to keep yourself or to keep evil at bay. 
You're going to need power in your home. You're going to need to be in agreement with your wife and your husband. Power in your home. Carnal believers that do not stand eventually have no spiritual influence. Look at verse 12, if you will. Meanwhile, the angels question Lot. Do you have any other relatives in the city? They asked, get them out of this place. Your sons-in-law, your sons, daughters, or anyone else. For we're about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great that it's reached the Lord and he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. But the young men thought he was only joking. This is what's at stake for us. You can't at the last minute try to exude spiritual authority when you've lived like hell all the, way, all the days up to it. And we wield no influence when we're sitting at the city gates with our feet propped up, l- l- vexed by the evil, but still living in it. Troubled by all we see and still silent. And then when God's about to judge, here comes Lot, who was fine with Sodom yesterday, at the last minute, telling his sons-in-law that are about to be, God's about to destroy the city. Who are you? You have no influence. Noah had influence over everybody, and they were all saved. And you'll see the hit and miss destruction in Lot's family. See, Lot thought he could raise his children in Sodom and they not become Sodomites. Lot thought he could raise his family in Sodom and his wife not be destroyed. And in the days of the Son of Man, it's just like in the days of Lot, there are people in this church that go to this church that hear preaching every Sunday that live exactly like the world, talk like the world, believe like the world, and think they're going to have influence in the day of judgment. And they're deceived. I don't want my children to point and say, I didn't even know which way to take because you were so indecisive. Who are you in this last hour? And we're going to have believers with no influence in their homes because how they live up to this final hour. And I know this is heavy, but just bear with me. Verse 15. The next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out right now or you will be swept away in the destruction of this city. And I want to tell you as your pastor, if you do not want to be punished with this world, separate yourself from this world. Come out from among them. Be ye separate, says the Lord. Touch not the unclean things and I'll be your God. Well, how do we come out of the world? It's hard. You pull back. You say, I I can't do that. I can't watch that. I can't listen to that. I am not that. I don't believe that. And you're separate. And there's a suffering that takes place when you separate yourself from the world. You're outcast. And the Bible says this is how we suffer with the Lord. We go outside of the camp, just like Jesus went outside of the camp, bearing his approach, his reproach, in the same way he suffered and died outside of the camp. We suffer. We walk that same pathway with him taking upon ourselves the same sufferings. Nobody wants to be hated. I get the hate email every time I preach on something like this, either hate or disappointment, that you're not a guy that loves, and I'm so disappointed in this place, I won't be back. No one likes that. And you need to know that you're not what they say you are just because you stand. 
God is still pulling some of us today. Verse 16. When Lot hesitated, the angel seized his hands and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and rushed them, pushed them, pulled them outside the city for the Lord was merciful. I heard in my heart the Lord say to tell you that there are people here. He has been pulling on you nonstop. Pulling because he knew if he let go of your hand, you'd stay. I know I'm supposed to share that today. Any, let, let's, let's, okay, let's back away from the heavy subject. Anybody can relate to this? You are delivered from something. You stop doing something. You turn your back on a sin. And it starts to pull a little bit. It starts to pull a little bit. It starts to pull a little bit. And you get close. And then the Lord convicts you. You get so frustrated. You just want to say, just leave me alone about it. I, I don't get to do anything. Just leave me alone about this little bitty thing. And I know the danger in that. And the danger in that is, Lord, if you ever take your Holy Spirit from me, I'm done. David said, oh God, take not the Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit in me. Lord, this is what I pray for me. Don't ever stop convicting me. Don't don't ever let go of my hand. Don't ever, because we'll go back and he'll say, no, you're going to die here. And I'm grateful, God, I want to say publicly, I'm grateful that when I'm hard-hearted and duplicitous and I'm carnal, that you are so gracious to grab my hand and my wife's hand and pull us back towards safety. That's the gift of conviction. God, don't ever stop convicting us so that we can live in a false security. False secure people are secure until judgment comes. And they realize it's false, a false security. You know what that looks like? It's time to make something lighthearted. We've been talking heavy, heavy. Y'all remember when you used to go to the club or to the bar, crystal pistol or whatever, and shoot pool. And there's this guy in there with about three teeth in his head. Ain't washed his hair since the Korean War. You brush with, he floss with, a ski rope in there. And he's had about 15 cold ones. And he's about 106 pounds wet. And he walks up to the biggest guy in the place with his pool stick and goes, what are you doing here? That's false security. <laughs> his beers have told him, I'm the man up in here. And he'll wake up in a coma the next day. You see? When we're drunk on this world, we have a false security that we're somebody we're not and we're somewhere we're not. And the Bible says those that give way to intoxicants have great woe. I remember in my lifestyle, four or five nights a week for seven years, I was drunk. And you wake up and you go, hi, in the world, you got a piece of arm missing. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You got ear missing. Your, your car's wrecked. You didn't know you wrecked it. I woke up one morning face down in a rose bush. Seriously, just, just bear with me. So I'm outside, dew on the back of my head, in a rose bush, and my first waking thought was, what in the world? Don't know where I'm at. Don't know where my car is. Don't know where my motorcycle is, my dog is. What happened? Well, obviously, I thought I knew where I was going. And if you're drunk on this world, you don't even know what's going on around you. You got to get off of this drug this temporal world 
and set your affections on things above. And when you become sober, oh, you see stuff other people don't see. See, like I'd be in the bar and the guy puts the pool stick on that guy that's 6'6", squared, ain't got no neck. And I'm seeing stuff this drunk guy don't see. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. He didn't mean that. He didn't. Here's $10. Go buy yourself a sandwich. He, oh, come, come, quit, quit. What's wrong with you, buddy? Whoa, you're about to die. What do you mean? Oh, you don't see it. And that's the role of the believer in the last day. They don't even know that judgment's coming and you better do something about what you see. Help people. Even if they cuss you, that guy will be like, I'm fine. And they'll spit at you. Who do you think you are? I think I'm the sober one in this relationship. That's who I think I am. God is still pulling you. You ought to thank him for his hand on your wrist. And there will be those who have all but escaped the wrath to come who will in the end show their true affections and they'll turn back to the world that holds their heart. Lisa, would you mind playing for me today? Would you mind? There will be those who have all but escaped the wrath to come and who will in the end show where their true affections are and will turn back to the world that holds their heart. It says in verse 24, that the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them. He utterly destroyed them, along with the other cities and villages of the plain, wiping out all of the people and every bit of vegetation. But Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him, and she turned into a pillar of salt. So what's that look like? Angels having Lot's arm, angels having his daughter's arm, pulling his wife, pulling his wife. And God told them through the messenger, don't look back, don't look back. And when she looked back, she was not judged for the look. The look only showed you what was in the heart. I didn't want to leave Sodom. And if you don't want to leave Sodom, you die with Sodom. And Lot made it out, and his wife was, let me just say that most commentaries and theologians believe that Sodom is nearby or as the Dead Sea. That's where all that salt came from, great heat. She was just burnt to ashes and solidified in one moment. And I don't want there to be people in our church when the Lord comes at the very last moment it shows that they never wanted to be with the Lord, that this world was their home. I picture it like a hot air balloon. I want, Kelly, help me cut the ropes to this world. I, just one that would keep me here. One rope that would keep me here. And Jesus said, remember Lot's wife, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be. And there'll be believers that have sung the songs, took communion, laid hands on people, prayed, that won't leave because they love this world. And if you love this world, you are the enemy of God. That's scripture. Judgment is coming. And it will be unmistakable, unavoidable, global, and without mercy. Judgment is coming, but so is the Lord. And he knows how to deliver the godly just like he knows how to punish the unjust. In Matthew, Jesus told his disciples, he said, there's some of you 
here today that are going to see me in my glory before you die. And the next day, the next day, Jesus is on a mount of transfiguration. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. They didn't know it was the Mount of Transfiguration. And he was there with James and John and Peter. And there appeared beside him Moses and Elijah. And they were transfigured, metamorphosed, which means there was a glorified body now. They had already been changed. And they said, oh, this is good that we're here. Let us build tabernacles And the voice said, please be quiet and just listen to Jesus. And then the other two vanished. What is the significance of that? I'm glad you asked. Moses is a type of the believer that dies. Elijah is a type of the believer that never died. He was taken away. The ones that are joined in heaven. And he was letting us know, this is what it's going to look like. Those of your loved ones that have passed on. They're going to be with me and you're going to be with me. Noah made it through the judgment. Lot was taken out of the judgment. See, even though it's not a perfect type, the type is there. Judgment's coming, but so is Jesus. And we have to, we have to pay the price. We have to represent so that our friends and family know how to get there. If I come inside with you and say, you're fine, you're fine, just so you'll like me and I sell your soul out, I don't know of anything worse than that. So, with the last minute or two minutes, can I be very transparent with you? I know that there are going to be people that when you preach like this, that I love, that aren't going to like me no more. They're going to stop coming. They're going to be upset at me. And I like to be liked just as much as you do. It's hard. But at the same time, I would rather you not like me your whole life and make it to heaven than you think I'm a great guy and die with the ungodly. I close with this. For if God spared not the angels which sinned, but cast them down under darkness, in chains under darkness, he spared not the world during the days of Noah, flooded the whole earth, and spared not Sodom and Gomorrah, but he's going to look the other way with us. As it was in the days of Lot and Noah, our world is acting like he ain't coming and he ain't judging. And he is. Final, my final, final thought. Does he love? Oh, yeah. He takes fornicators, sexually perverted people like me, drunks, and he washes them in a grace that changes their fabric. And my old man still longs for things like that, but my new man has been changed and he blots out our transgressions. Does love win? Yes, it does. But not in the way you think. It doesn't win by ignoring your sin. It wins by saving you from your sins. That's what he does. 
Would you bow your head with me? I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I just want to tell you in all humility that this message, this messenger, was God taking you by the wrist and saying, come out of the city. Don't die with the city. Judgment's coming. Receive grace. Receive mercy. And whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. Father God, open our eyes to see in the Spirit. Open our ears to hear your voice. Let there not be one judgmental tone in this church where we look down at people who are caught in their sin, lest we forget that we were the worst of all sinners. But let us stand in rightness and righteousness and let us tell them of the ark. Let us tell them of the salvation. Let's tell them of how we can run to the hills that God has set apart to free us and save us. Let no blood be upon our hands because we didn't tell. Love you today, Lord. I pray that today I said what you told me to say in a way that you would want me to say it. And I pray that people will draw closer to you than ever before. Time's running out. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Would you stand with me this morning? I don't know what else to tell you. Be ready. Get ready. Pack up. Cut the cords. Let it go. Let them go. Get ready. Sanctify yourself. So when the trump of God goes off, your spirit man, the first thing it says is, yes, Lord. I've been waiting on it. Have a wonderful Lord's Day today. God bless you.